This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 24th of November 2021. And cast your mind back, if you would, Norman, to around this time last year. I know I ask you to do this a fair bit. I promise it's for a different reason today. It was about the time that vaccines were starting to roll out in different countries around the world, or at least were being tested in different countries. And it was also about the time that we started to see new variants popping up of the coronavirus. And it's actually prompted some people to ask the question, did vaccination drive the evolution of new variants? And if so, what does that mean for the fact that we're now vaccinating furiously vaccinating people in their billions all around the world now. What's what's it maybe going to do to the virus going forward? Yeah, it's a really good question and it, it, is, a, it is a cause for some concern. Let's just go back to last year. I mean, I can barely remember last week, but let's just go back to last year when the beta variant emerged, which is the South African variant, which was vaccine resistant. The reason that the South African variant emerged was almost certainly nothing to do with vaccines, although they were trialling vaccines in South Africa at that time. It's almost certainly due to a large population of people who don't have very good immune systems, probably because of HIV infection. And when you've got immune compromise, the, bu- the bug, the germ, the virus multiplies furiously in your body and there's a very weak antibody response and the virus finds it easy to mutate around those antibodies. So what happens then is that you've got antibodies to the Wuhan version of the virus and the antibodies generated by the vaccine are also to the Wuhan version of the virus. So if you've got antibody resistant or you've got a, a virus that's resistant to the antibodies, by proxy, it's, a, it's, it's actually a resistant to the vaccine as well. So that's what happened last year. The alpha variant, when it emerged, it was a bit vaccine resistant. And it too probably emerged in the UK from somebody who was immunosuppressed. So what's going to happen now that you've got large numbers of people immunised around the world? Well, this is not published research. It comes from actually a series of tweets, but from a very reliable source, Professor Trevor Bedford in Seattle, who's got an evolutionary biology laboratory, who's been following very closely the evolution of the virus. And what he paints there is it's almost a hypothesis, so it's not proof, but he goes through the evidence for and against the vaccine producing a vaccine-resistant variant. So without going through all the evidence, what happens is, and the bottom line is, that when you've got a large number of people vaccinated, you actually get much lower amounts of virus in the community, and therefore you're not generating large volumes of the virus to mutate into a variant. It's more complicated than that, but essentially vaccination works against new variants appearing because just everything just settles down a lot more with lower circulation of the virus and therefore less likelihood of producing variants. That's the essence of it. So every time the virus multiplies, there's an opportunity for it to mutate. So if there are fewer hosts, fewer people that it can mutate in, uh, multiply in, then you're just going to have fewer opportunities for it to develop a new variant. Yes, that's vaccine resistant. And there's previous research that he quotes in the past before COVID, which also suggests that vaccines don't produce vaccine variants. So what Trevor Bedford is saying is is it didn't drive the evolution of variants then, last year, and it probably won't drive the evolution of variants in the future. That's right. But as Professor Eddie Holmes at Sydney University says, this is a virus that defies prediction. So we could be wrong, but his theory is that it won't. 
If new variants arise, they will arise from low-income countries as even now they seem to be appearing. Whether there's variants of concern or variants of interest we will remain, will remains to be seen. So less about low-income countries and more about some high-income countries. Europe is having a really severe surge. It's not even winter yet there, and there's already seeing massive surges in places like Germany and Austria. They're going back into lockdown again. It's, it's a pretty bleak outlook for the coming into the third winter of COVID. Yeah, look, I think that Austria could turn it around. They're, they're very low immunisation rates at the moment, not quite as low as uh, Eastern Europe, but it's pretty low. And they're mandating vaccines. If they can get to north of 90% immunisation, 12 plus and then 5 plus when you're starting to immunise kids, they will, they, they will quite likely turn this around the same way as Victoria and New South Wales did. When Melbourne exited its last lockdown, it was the the line really was that it was the last big lockdown in in Melbourne or for Victoria and in Australia. Do you think that that's something that's a promise that's going to be able to be kept next year? If we have a coordinated, sustained booster program and five to eleven year olds are immunised in high high numbers, then that is quite likely. And but it does come back to this variant story. If a variant comes along that's highly vaccine resistant, we could see a surge. But most people believe that what will be retained is good protection against hospitalisation and severe disease. And let's stop talking about Europe for a bit because we talked a bit about those guys um, in the last few episodes, but a bit closer to home here in our region. We're getting a lot of questions from people asking what's going on in Japan because their case numbers seem really low and they are really low. It's a place, it's a highly densely populated country with a lot of people in it and hardly any COVID circulating there. What's going on? Well, they have had COVID. So they, in August and September, they were getting 20-odd thousand cases a day, although that's dropped down now, as you quite rightly say, to very low numbers. So it's not as if they've got off, they've got off scot-free, but they do seem to be affected, affected by it less. And um, there's quite an interesting uh, article in a journal called Molecular Medicine, which looks at what the possible reasons are for the low numbers. Now, we should say that the immunisation rate in Japan currently is 76.7% of the total population. So that's not of the eligible population, it's the total population. So that's quite high. It is quite high. And remember, though, that Japan's an elderly population. So uh, whilst 76.7% in Australian terms would get you into the high 80s, it probably gets you into the lowish to mid 80s in, um, of the eligible population. Still pretty good. So you can't discount an influence of vaccination. There's been uh, you know, a, a response of trying to um, detect clusters early and do something about them. They've tried to improve the quality of t- intensive care and the system, the medical system response. But there are various other reasons, there are possibilities without necessarily being proven. So by the way, there's no evidence that there are different variants in Japan, which have been going in the tabloid press. So one is that Japanese culture is more socially distanced. People wear face masks and so social distancing is kind of a theme in, in Japanese life. Although you'd have to say that if you're on the subway in Japan, it can be pretty packed. Um, but if you're all wearing masks, you're reducing the risk somewhat. Another reason is that there's some different version of the virus, and that's, been pre- that's pretty much not true. Another is that genetically Jap- or ethnically, J- Japan Japanese people have you know, this ACE2 receptor, the lock and key that the virus fits into, that somehow they might have a mutation in that, which makes um, them less likely to severe disease. Not proven, possibility, but not proven. Going also on the genetic makeup of Japanese people. Remember, it's a very uniform 
country in terms of um, ethnic diversity, there's not a lot of ethnic diversity in Japan, is that they may have, it's called your HLA type, and it's, it, it really governs a lot, of, uh, partly how your immune system responds. So, for example, if you've got a, an HL, there's a certain HLA type that goes along with multiple sclerosis. So it can, it can change the behaviour of your immune system, what you've inherited there. It's, it's partly what Peter Doherty won the Nobel Prize for, uh, the HLA system and the immune system. It's a very key part of the immune system. Long explanation, <laughs> do they have an HLA system basically governing how they identify foreign invaders that makes them different? But we don't really know that that's got an effect, but it's possible. BCG vaccine, tuberculosis vaccine, it has been used more commonly in places like Japan than in European countries and in Australia. And there is some evidence that BCG confers cross-protection. It stimulates the immune system and confers some cross-protection against COVID. So those are all the reasons. Some of them will be real and some of them will be imagined or just hypotheses. The bottom line is we haven't got a clue. (laughs) <laughs> That's a very long way of saying we don't know what we're talking about or you don't know what you're talking about, Norman. Yeah, but in- interesting theories. For sure, for sure. Okay, another question. This is a simpler one. Ileana's asking, what side effects can I expect from my Pfizer booster if I had AstraZeneca for doses one and two? I don't think it's, it's any different from a standard, uh, a, a standard booster. You, um, you're hearing anecdotes of people who get sore arms. Um, you, you hear anecdotes of people who get felled in really with quite marked feelings of the flu, in a sense, feeling really lousy for a day. And I think that seems to be happening after Astra as much as after Pfizer. So I think the, the pattern of side effects are pretty much the same as they were from the second dose. It's really hard with anecdotal things like that, right? Like you only ever tell the terrible story. You only ever tell the story about that time you felt like absolutely flawed, like you say. No one ever comes and says, oh my gosh, I felt so normal after my third dose. Well, I've heard, I've, I've heard people say that, boasting, they had no trouble at all, although they feel a little bit anxious because they wonder whether or not that means they haven't had an immune response, which is actually not true. The severity of your side effects doesn't really tell you much about, you're not better protected if you had a worse side effect, you're just a bit unlucky, really. No, there's very little evidence for that. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. You can ask your questions and comments at abc.net.au slash coronacast. That's also the website you can go to if you want to fill out our listener survey. Tell us what you think we should be doing next year. We'd love to hear it. And if you think sashimi prevents COVID-19, do let us know. (laughs) We'll see you tomorrow. See you then. 